These are the daily lectionary comments for Tuesday, the second week in Lent. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 21. Isaac is born and everybody laughs. In Mark 6, beginning at verse 35, Jesus feeds 5,000. He walks on the water and he heals everybody who comes to him. Genesis chapter 21. Finally, Isaac is born according to the promise. I've been waiting a long time for this. Now, the theme here is laughter. First off, remember that originally Abraham laughed when he first heard that he was going to have a child in his old age. When the um, uh, the Lord promised to Abraham that in one year, uh, Sarah was going to have a child. Remember, Sarah was in the tent and she laughed and then denied it. And, oh, but you did laugh. Remember, Isaac's name means he laughs. So we've had a lot of laughter leading up to um, uh, Isaac's birth. Now then also, the theme continues. Sarah says, after the birth of the child, uh, she says, God has made laughter for me. Uh, so in other words, she is rejoicing in this, something she never thought would happen. She also adds, everyone who hears will laugh over me. In other words, everybody is, is it's, it's going to be, it, this is a fun laughter that God has done such a delightful thing for this old woman. But then things turn a little darker because then it says Ishmael laughed uh, when, when uh, Isaac was weaned. Isaac probably would have been about three years old or so. Uh, and Ishmael, at this point, probably about 17 years old, perhaps, um, he is laughing. But now the context makes it very clear that this laughing is a mocking laugh, not a not a, uh, a happy laugh, although it was a happy occasion. And Sarah saw this and was not pleased. Understand that under the law, that is, uh, under the custom of the time, Ishmael was the proper heir uh, to um everything that Abraham had. And so one might read into this uh, some really dark thoughts as far as Ishmael is concerned, because Isaac is uh, the second born and a pretender and not is not going to, uh, not ever going to have the importance uh, that Ishmael has or inherit everything. We don't know what all was going through Ishmael's mind, but at any rate, uh, he laughs mockingly and Sarah sees it and this is not good. So Sarah boots Hagar out again. This is part two. Remember, they've already had a conflict before uh, when, when uh, Hagar conceived, uh, Sarah uh, had the impression that Hagar was treating her with contempt and, uh, and, and gave her the boot but the Lord appeared to her and sent her back. This is 14 years later now, and it's going to happen again. Uh, that that uh, Sarah's going to go to Abraham and say, the woman's got to go. Now, part of the reason for Sarah wanting this, of course, is because she's, she's very partial to her own child, Isaac. Um, so that's, that's not very noble. Um, Abraham didn't seem to think that this was very noble either. The whole thing uh, says it displeased him. Um, but then also on a more theological note, I guess, uh, Sarah could be thinking, look, it's very clear, uh, that Isaac is the one, uh, who's going to be the heir. God has said as much. And so Ishmael can't, and if Ishmael is going to stick around, this is a threat to, uh, to God's plan. <laughs> He's got 
uh, he's got to go. Now, Abraham didn't immediately act on this, but the Lord uh, interceded and basically said, do what, what Sarah says. I have plans for Ishmael and I will take care of him. I don't know any other way Abraham could have done what he did with Hagar. Just get, give him some water and some bread and send him out into the wilderness and see what happens next. I don't know any other way that Abraham could have done that without just being a monster other than the fact that God uh, had, um, had spoken to him. God had promised uh, that, number one, he says, look, uh, do what, do what uh, Sarah says. Um, I'm going to make a great nation out of Ishmael. However, he adds, the promise of heirship will go through Isaac. So she is right about that. And, uh, but now he's going to make it a great nation. Who is this great nation? Well, traditionally, Christians, Jews, and Muslims all identify the, uh, the descendants of Ishmael as Arabs. So the Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to talk, really. There are those who say that, that that's not true or that's only partially true. One of the problems that you have with saying who's descended from whom after all this time is it's very difficult to say. People move around. Um, peoples move around. They, they uh, uh, intermarry. Uh, it, it's, you generally can't draw a straight line from a group of people today, say, go back 2,000 years to a group of people then. Um, yes, there, there may be a, a, a lot of Ishmaelite-like uh, blood in modern Arabs. But you can't just say modern Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael. Um, there are actually a lot of different um, uh, strains of nationalities and so forth that go into the, to the uh, Arab mix. Even so, however, all three of the major Abrahamic religions uh, have traditionally identified this, and, and, and the scripture seems to suggest this as well. So anyway, there you have it. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't continue on with Ishmael. Um, the Quran does, but uh, but uh, the Hebrew scriptures do not. Um, you can look at uh, Galatians chapter four. Paul comments on this incident, and he talks about how these these two children uh, are uh, sort of symbolic. Um, the, you have the child of promise, that's Isaac, and you have the child of the flesh, that is the child that was brought into the world because Abraham, uh, uh, Sarah. And Hagar took matter into their own hands, born according to nature. Um, and that it indeed, it is true, it is necessary for, for the child of the flesh to be sent away because he cannot inherit with the child of promise. And Paul makes the point that the child of the flesh uh, is, is Israel at Mount Sinai, uh, Israel according to the flesh, and the child of promise uh, is the is the uh, is those are all those who have the faith of Abraham uh, through Christ, and so he says. Actually, uh, it's the New Testament people who are the child of promise, uh, and the Jews are are likened to uh, uh, Hagar uh, and Ishmael, child uh, children of the flesh, bound and slaves uh, to the law, whereas the children of promise. Uh, are in fact uh, free of the law and and uh, and live uh, under God by faith. All right, so that's uh, that's enough for Genesis chapter twenty-one. Mark chapter six, beginning at uh, verse thirty-five. We, we have three uh, three little scenes here. The first 
Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000. So this is the crowd that went out to find uh, Jesus out in the desolate place. And he had compassion on them and he preached and taught. And then it got late. And uh, so then it was clear that the folks had to leave and go get themselves some food. Uh, but there was no real practical way of doing that. In, uh, at least it would have been very difficult. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, that's kind of the key here. Um, we have Jesus in the previous uh, reading sending out the 12. Um, so Jesus has been preaching and healing and driving out demons. And then he sends out his apostles and gives them power to drive out demons and to heal as well. And they do that and they come back. And then it was me, uh, immediately after that, we have this story. And he says, you give them something to eat. And then note also how this actually works. He, Jesus has uh, the apostles have the, the people sit down in groups and they do. And then Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, gives it to the disciples, and then the disciples turn around and give it to the people. So you have a, a picture here of how Jesus' personal ministry to individuals who are needing fed, preached, or healed uh, is now being developed as a ministry of Jesus through the apostles. And this is a picture of how the church works today. The way Jesus feeds us today, the way he preaches, the way he heals, the way he feeds us with his own body and blood is just like this. He himself is the author of all these blessings. He distributes the blessings to his people through the church. And, and so we gather together and we see this kind of progression. So at the Lord's Supper, for example, we have just exactly this kind of an idea. Jesus' words produce the, the, uh, the, the body and blood and the blessings in the Eucharist. And then it is uh, uh, through, through the church, the ministry of the church, then is, is uh, distributed among the people and they all eat. Note also the, the little notation of there's 12 baskets uh, taken up. In other words, quite a bit more scraps were gathered up than the food that they had to begin with, which is a little bit of a comment on just uh, the overabundance of what Christ can and does produce. Now, the next scene is Jesus walking on the water. And the only comment I'm going to make about that, of course, this is demonstrating just as feeding uh, the, the, the people demonstrated his, his mastery over uh, physical things. But now, now we see Jesus walking on the water, even in the midst of something of a storm. Remember that the uh, apostles were in a boat making their way with difficulty because of the wind. Jesus, however, is not afraid of the storm and walks on it. Um, in the Old Testament, God is, is sometimes pictured in, in, in ways like this. He, he walks on the clouds or he walks on, on the water and, and, uh, and subdues all of these things. And so Jesus is subduing them all. Now, this little comment here, it says, he intended to pass them by. And you may scratch your head about that. And, and my thought, as soon as I read that, I think, Really? Jesus really intended to pass them by, but somehow or another just didn't quite do it. Um, one, one can't find that very believable. So I think what we have here is that Jesus acted as though he was going to be passing them by um, and gets their attention uh, that way rather than coming straight out the boat. Um, but but it's, it's hardly believable that Jesus actually did intend not to be seen by them, but somehow goofed it up. I think it'd be pretty easy for Jesus not to be caught if he didn't want to be caught. <coughs> Similarly, you have Jesus uh, when he reached, meets the men after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. He acted like he was going on, even though as the, as the story plays out, it's clear what he wanted to do. So Jesus has no problem 
with a little ruse like this or that in order to make sure that the people are in a proper frame of mind to um, uh, to receive him. <clears throat> and then the last little scene here is giant crowds again gathering around Jesus. And uh, the, the text, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> indicating that as many as even touched the hem of his <clears throat> garment were healed. Once again, we have this demonstration that Jesus heals and performs miracles absolutely effortlessly. So many that they can't be counted. They're just all lumped together. There's nothing like this anywhere else in Scripture. I might could use his healing touch on my throat right now. I'm happy to say I don't feel bad, but I've talked enough, as you can see. Until tomorrow.